0: Infinity. 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 I'm talking with uh, Russell Joseph. He's a retired builder and uh, construction manager, also ran for the state seat of Nepean in the Victorian state election of 2018. And Alana Jones, who's a community engagement officer for the Hinterland Environment Water Scheme. As we mentioned, you can get hold of uh, this document, uh, which sets out the broad view of, of this idea, but it's to use a lot of the water that some of that 350 million litres that gets discharged at Bogues Rocks at Matter every day to divert some of that, put it through a reverse osmosis purification system or a plant and then pump it up to the top of the Arthur's seat and distribute it for agricultural purposes around the peninsula which is a great idea and just on the subject of stakeholders because you were mentioning you know we've been talking about some of the uses so you mentioned TAFE courses being encouraged employment being encouraged benefits to green wedge areas South East Water are involved, Melbourne Water, Mornington Peninsula Shire, Southern Rural Water, Environment Protection Agency, Victorian Farmers Federation, Country Fire Authority, Firefighting Water to do that with, Um, Horticultural Innovation Australia, Nursery and Garden Industry Victoria, Save Tootkarook Swamp, which is an environmental group. These are all groups that have, have shown interest. People are very conscious
1: that the water at Class A is actually fit for purpose for irrigation. It's already um, able to be used for irrigation purposes on yep. on farmland
0: but as you were mentioning off air before that that's uh, that's most suitable in sandy areas where it can that's kind right. of drain through the soil easily mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in more clay soil for which is really what we're talking about that farming area yep. um, it's not suitable because you wind up accumulating chemicals and sort of things that you don't necessarily want over time in, yeah the, in the, soil.
1: The, the soil experts that we've spoken to indicate that over time it can actually degrade those soils and it's not advantageous. So you might as well treat it and clean it up completely. The other issue is that there's a bit of phosphorus in the water as well, uh, which is normally okay, but that's not very good for native plants. So if it escapes into the native environment, this can be a bit of an issue. So we're just trying to scotch all of the environmental concerns that we may have with the water. And you know, again, if we're helping environmental flows, if any of this does escape into the natural environment, then we, we want it to be basically benign. Yeah, uh, the nursery people that you mentioned earlier as well uh, is important because again, they can't use the water as it is without shanding it with town water because of the phosphorus content. Okay, because when they water their native plants, and we have this down at Southern Advanced Plants in Dramana. It's not good for them, so they have to mix it with town water, right. which they pay you know three and a half thousand dollars a megaliter for, right? In order to make it actually fit for purpose for them. Yeah. So it's all about being fit for purpose for the actual use and the environment where we're putting it.
0: What about bore water? Can you mix it with bore water? You mentioned off air also that, that um, the bore water is increasing in salinity. It's so so
1: that my understanding, yeah. Yep. Okay. It's becoming a bit more saline. So, so another ta- reason
0: why farmers would be looking for an alternative to right.
1: bore, bore water. And this water takes all the salt out. Yep.
0: The Class A treated water that's going out at Bogues Rocks, this is the stuff that you're going to tap into and then process further mm-hmm. with reverse osmosis that water that's going out what chemicals does it still contain because we and th- i think this might have been the reason we actually got together on this that we're here now sitting here was that we did a piece on beyond infinity where we talked about a report that came out not so long ago about how a survey is done around australia in fact it's also done in other countries around the world I think there's 20 other countries around the world where the same thing's done and that is to look at illicit drugs that are showing up in water treatment plants before the water's treated Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering does the existing processing of water is it cleaning out illicit drugs from the water that's being pumped out at, at, at bogues rocks or or do those things remain and and ditto things like antibiotics things like other drugs that other very common drugs that people are taking that are winding up getting flushed you know, potentially out into the out into the sea. How much of that is picked up by already by the by the existing treatment, and is the rest of it being picked up by reverse osmosis? So, not
1: much of those chemical compounds are actually picked up through the class A treatment, right? But what it does do is that there's nothing alive in the water, so anything sort of biological is is not there anymore. And I think that's pretty much the the description. Mm. Alana's nodding at me, so yeah,
0: sounds good. <laughs> which
1: which is sounds pretty right. But in terms of the pharmaceuticals and other things, yes, there are some of these chemicals in there. The EPA have, you know, obviously deemed that this water is still fit fit for purpose for irrigation and agriculture without any question. So there's no danger or harm. Mm. It's really a side benefit of ours that if we remove the nitrogen, phosphorus and salts and whatnot, then we'll also be taking these out as well through reverse osmosis. So it's
0: pretty much a win-win i guess what i'm getting at is is just that that outfall that happens at bogues rocks and it used to be less treated than it is Mm. you know it was once upon a time you know people if you went surfing out there you you get you know lumps under your arms and and all sorts of weird things happening but it's now far more processed and presumably it is monitored the actual where it's being released into yep. the ocean is being monitored and so presumably it's pretty benign like once it's been given that that's got to that class a stage yep. it's it's pretty neutral in terms of its impact even on you know, in the ocean or in the area closest to where it's being released
1: absolutely yeah yep. and i don't think we've had people getting sick anymore yeah. down there. Yeah. I think that's I think it
0: goes out a lot further than it used to anyway, doesn't it? Or no. It, no, it's only that just the processing, the level of processing. Yep,
1: level of processing. So it went from Class C mm. to Class A. Yeah. Uh, my understanding of Class C was that it's sort of what comes out of the end of a septic tank. Right. Uh, class A is much cleaner and it's... No odour, you know, it's clear, it's clean.
0: And, and um, just on the septic tax. so the, the new pressurised sewage system that's mm-hmm. been put in on, on the southern peninsula anyway, um, that is connecting to the same treatment and, and winding up in the same outfall? Yes, that goes through the Bonio treatment plant. Yep. They are also making
1: water there to class A. Right. And most, well, I think all of that water is actually taken up during summer from the farmers down through the the, the flatlands. Market there. gardeners. Yeah, yep. all the market gardeners. Yeah. That's actually created a, a, an extra flow of water, but it's it's nothing really significant in comparison to what's coming out of Carrum, which yep. is servicing basically the southeast of Melbourne.
0: Right. Okay. That's what I was actually going to ask you. How much... What's the actual geographic area? So it's the whole of the southeastern suburbs of, of Melbourne. Pretty much. It's, so that's... What would that be? A couple of million people, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So and I think and Alana may have a better idea on this, but if you looked at the Yarra River as being that you know, sort of delineator as, as that low point in between the east and the west, mm. um, we've got a whole lot of effluent goes
0: to the west, to Werribee, and a whole lot of it comes down to Caram. Mm. Yep. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, it takes us all the way up to the city. It's a big area. So it's, it's literally millions of people. Yeah. And with Melbourne growing, this is going to only um, increase as a potential resource I suppose the idea is that because you've got a big population and you've got, in the case of the Mornington Peninsula, you've got agriculture going on quite close to it, it's about tapping into this, this water resource, this processed water resource, without having to transport it a long distance, without the cost and difficulties sure. of, of being able to move it long distance, you can use it in, a, in, a, in close proximity to where it's being generated to start with, which sure. I guess is a benefit and, and presumably a model that other cities around Australia would be interested in.
1: Look, you'd think so. Uh, you'd think so. Where, the, it, where
0: there is, where there's farming, that's yeah, that's, that's right. and, close.
1: Melbourne's a bit unique too, in that we have these green wedges, which were you know developed you know a few decades ago, mm. designed to really be, if you like, the lungs of the city. Mm. Um, and preservation of those green wedges is something that most people on the peninsula are very passionate about, yep. as well as right across Melbourne. And one of the other advantages of creating you know, uh, uh, the sort of horticultural industry that we're looking at is, in terms of climate change particularly, is carbon sequestration. Mm -hmm. So we actually, through orchards, are actually putting carbon back into the soil from the atmosphere. Yep. And this is a good thing. Yep. So And doing it so close to a city is also a good thing. So we're actually starting to um, revitalise the green wedges to actually be those lungs of the city
0: yep and i guess by by having productive crops and, and the like you're kind of ensuring that they remain rather than 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 the possibility that because as we know that you know the cost of land at at Red Hill and around that area is so high I mean it's much higher than a lot of other farming regions of Victoria so there's potentially pressure to to put housing on it rather than uh, use it for farming and to keep it as a green wedge. That's right Yeah, yeah
1: absolutely and by doing the sort of high value high yield high water intensive horticulture that we're looking at hence why the trial sites become important to get the best crop for the best site, mm. um, it means that you can actually secure this land for a long for a long time because it's economically viable. And you know, one of the challenges with all of these things is h- how do you make it economically viable and sustainable for the for the long term? So putting this sort of water onto the land uh, in a scientific manner is actually how to do it.
0: So what? The, so what are the next steps for all this? So this is at the moment. This is kind of a. Um uh, this, this report um, is is a, a, you know, a preliminary document. So where do you see it going? You get your funding from the federal government, which was promised by Greg Hunt just before the last election. Yep, he got in, so that's likely to happen. Mm-hmm. I know that, that uh, he is hoping that the Shire, the Mornington Peninsula Shire, as well as the state government of Victoria, are going to contribute a similar amount. Mm-hmm. So this is being viewed as a, as a, um, a bipartisan, tripartisan, if you like, process. Where do you go from there? So that so you get that extra funding, what happens then? So on the back of a feasibility report that actually said,
1: yes, this is feasible and this is how it can be designed, mm-hmm. then we'd be seeking funding to construct.
0: Right. And this would be a combination, so it could be private, public, stakeholders...
1: Government, who knows? Yep. Again, we're fairly agnostic as to where the funding comes from so long as it does return the best result for the community. So the Hinterland Environmental Water Scheme is now an incorporated body, and Alana is one of our board members. So the idea is to create the scheme as a community-led, not-for-profit organisation. The public-private partnerships you know, may work, we're not sure, but we think that there's a bit of resistance in the community to some of these that we've seen in the past that people tend to pay over and above what they probably should Mm -hmm. so in order to keep the costs down we felt
0: that this was the best way to go just talking with russell joseph and alana jones about the hinterland environmental water scheme otherwise known as hughes in this Hughes report, this draft that you've been kind enough to share with me and, and others can get hold of that, we will include information how to contact Russell to get a, a copy of this draft. If you're interested, you can have a look at it for yourself. But you, you mentioned there's considerable regulatory pressure to reduce or limit the volume of water currently being discharged. Why is that? Why, why is there pressure to reduce that, that water that's going out at Bogues, Rock, Bogues Rocks? Because people are thinking the same way as you, that they want to use it, they want to retask that they consider it basically a waste of water?
1: No, I think it comes down to really the EPA licensing that is the amount of water that's allowed to be discharged at Bogues Rocks. So I, okay. think, I think there's an upper limit there somewhere. And uh, as you alluded to earlier, as the population yep. is increasing, that volume of water is increasing all the time. So there comes a time when we need to find A way to repurpose it better. Mm. The current way of doing it hasn't really worked. I think it's fair to say. I don't think anyone's going to get offended if I said that. At the moment, if you want to access the water out of the outfall, you've got to pay for the pipeline yourself personally, and it becomes your private pipeline. Right. And you pay for the water, you know, fairly significantly as well. Right. And it just hasn't had the take up that it needed. So people that are close to the outfall. It's economical to take it, but mm. people that aren't, mm. it's not economical to take it. Whereas the people that aren't close to the outfall line are probably the people that could have as much
0: as the better use for it. Could you use the system that you're talking about? It based at Dramana, and then you, where you're going to have your your reverse osmosis plant, and then you pump it up to the top of of Arthur's Seat and distribute from there using gravity. Could you? Um, if you chose to, could you turn that? You could you could bypass the reverse osmosis and then just distribute the Class A processed water through the same network that you'd be installing to distribute it potentially. And I know these are details that have yet to be determined. Is that an option? That way, you kind of then you're providing a way of delivering the Class A without the purification. Mm. To people who might, you know, who might have, have not afford not been able to afford to get access because they're too far away from from the plant.
1: Look, I think on balance, that's why we're looking at the design and feasibility study option because it hasn't been done before to do the reverse osmosis. While the Class A is fit for purpose f- to irrigate in the natural environment of the of the hinterland, which is very very sensitive and fragile. Mm you've got to be careful about what you're putting up there and the amount of salt that's in the water that you're taking up there, you know, that's tons and tons of salt, mm. you know, on, on at peak capacity. We just don't need to be dumping all that salt up there. How does
0: all the salt get into Melbourne's sewerage or wastewater? Where does the salt come from? Um, <laughs> Out of, my, of interest. <laughs> my uneducated opinion would be that it comes from, you know, the production of of that sewerage and effluent. So right. that's coming out of I guess All the foods, our bodies salty foods <laughs> we eat and what's <laughs> just minerals. Yeah. 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 It's coming out of us and, and okay. the things that we use water for. So mm-hmm. including things through your washing machine and and, you know, other appliances around the home. So anything that goes down the drain yeah. is full of salt. So yeah. well, have you guys got anything you'd like to add before we wrap it up? No,
1: I think that's about it. That uh, we're happy to take any associate memberships which we're offering for $50 if people would like to support the Hinterland Environmental Water Scheme Incorporated mm-hmm. so they're welcome to make contact and become an associate member and we'll keep you up to date with what's happening and our meetings and we'll be holding general meetings We've got one coming up soon on July the 28th okay and uh, which will be open to associate members and members
0: right is there a, a website that people can look at for you guys?
1: Uh,
0: under construction. <laughs> under construction, okay. All right. Well, otherwise, the best thing to do, if you want to get a copy of this draft report, I suggest you email Russell Joseph directly. He can provide that to you. So thank you very much, Russell, and also to Alana Jones for coming Excellent. in and talking to us about this really interesting and uh, you know potentially great for agriculture on the, uh, the Mordeson mm-hmm. Peninsula and also a way of preserving those green spaces, those green wedges that uh, are pretty fragile and important to keep.
1: Just one probably final thing I will say. Mm. We talked about jobs earlier in industry. Mm. You know, my grandfather was a farmer in Red Hill, uh, apples, cherries and chooks, and that 12-acre farm provided a livelihood for two families to live very comfortably. Mm. With the demise of agriculture and horticulture uh, in that hinterland area, I've seen over the last 30 years a corresponding uh, so decline of agriculture horticulture and a corresponding increase in generational welfare dependency in our bayside townships. Right. So this is a, a community economic issue, mm. whereas if we can create a green wedge compatible industry in our hinterland that has the infrastructure of water to provide it with a livelihood for the next 100 years, then we can actually start to turn this back around.
0: That's a great thing if that happens. Hopefully, people get behind this, and hopefully, you guys will get the funding to take this to the next step. That a business case can be confirmed, that the engineering can be sorted out. This is a project that's going to take several years to Mm -hmm. complete, isn't it? By the time it actually winds up delivering water to farmers on the Mornington Peninsula, but a great thing, and you know, something to really think about: is it acceptable in in a time of drought and climate change to be Sending 350 million litres of water out Which could be retasked with, with some treatment For big benefit Employment, farming More intensive use of land Better efficiencies All the rest of it mm. And I think that this potentially applies To other parts of Australia as well Not not just Melbourne Very much so Alright, well thank you very much To Russell, Joseph and Alana Jones For coming in and talking to me Great Cheers thank Thanks you. cheers You're listening to Beyond Infinity Beyond Infinity, Beyond Infinity. Beyond. Infinity. Beyond. Infinity. Science and Technology Podcasts. You'll find show notes and other resources, plus our complete searchable backlist of over 600 podcasts at our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au.